Welcome to That's Marketing Baby, the weekly show where two marketing besties talk all things marketing in the world of B2B and B2C. I'm your co-host, Susan Winograd, and I've spent over 20 years in marketing focusing on paid media and email marketing. And I'm Jess Cook, copywriter and creative director turned content marketer. Every week, we'll tackle a topic that's on our minds and hopefully yours too. Ready? Let's go. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Aircule. Aircule is an agency focused solely on organic growth for B2B SaaS brands. I've worked with them before, and I can tell you I've never felt so confident and in control of my content strategy, SEO, and analytics. They also have this great free tool, Automo, that translates Google Analytics into actual usable data. Which pages are killing it, which ones are declining, and what you can do about it. Check them out and give Automo a whirl at E-R-C-U-L-E dot C-O. And now, on with the show. Hi. Hello, listener. <laughs> Hello, Susan. Hey, co-host. How are you? <laughs> Great. How are you? Good. And welcome to everybody that is listening to this episode of That's Marketing Baby. That's right. We are knee-deep into fall and Q4 and all kinds it's of craziness. Here. Yeah. It is here, man. It is here. Ooh. I don't know where the summer went. <laughs> I have no idea. But we were talking earlier about kind of how heading into New Year's, a lot of people start thinking about their career and kind of regrouping after Q4. And so we were thinking a good topic for today would be, drumroll, Jess, take it away. Would be the skills you have to nail down to level up in marketing. Exactly. Yeah. So what are the key things that... A, help you move up, but I think B, also just make you stick out as a marketer. Like, yeah. what are the things that I don't see the vast majority of marketers do that when I encounter it, I'm like, they're awesome. I love working with yes. them. Yes, totally. So you narrowed it down to four things that we feel are kind of the, those real game changers that just put you ahead of the pack. So Jess, would you like to take the first one? I would love to. Yeah, and I think too, like, we get this question a lot too. Hey, I really want to move up and, and I'm on the demand gen side and I, I really want to like move up to the next level. Like what do I need to be doing? Or I am a senior content marketer and I really want my next move to be head of content. Like how do I get there? And I think like these four are kind of all encompassing of just like all marketers, right? Like there is, and it's probably not all inclusive, but I think like this list is like in our experience, what we have felt has gotten us ahead and has, yeah, differentiated us a bit. So the first one I like to call connecting the dots. And really what that means is like you are able to, whether it's in like content and stories or with personas and media and how you're targeting people, see things that are not clearly connected and understand how they could possibly go together. Make a story stronger, make a campaign stronger. I think a really great example of this that I'm thinking of right now from our time at Marpipe, Susan, was mm -hmm. you came to me one day and you were like, hey, listen, I think we could get more people to sign up for the newsletter if we packaged it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So if instead of like a newsletter, it became a thing where it's like, yes, you get the newsletter, but you're also going to get like exclusive content from us and like mm -hmm. a once a month webinar. And so we packaged it much more than just like an email. Mm -hmm. And we did, we saw a really nice uptick in signups because people were like, oh, for free, I'm just, I'm going to get 
more from these people who already create stuff I really like. And you know what? Side note to that. Yeah. I think the reason I felt comfortable doing that was because I learned so much about repurposing content from you. Because mm. it was easy to to say like we could take this topic and do it a bunch of different ways for people. Yeah. Whereas I think a few years ago, I would have been like, oh my gosh, it's four times the work, but it didn't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were working with you. I'm like, it wouldn't be four times the work. It'd be like maybe 20% more work if we packaged it up a few different ways. I love that. It was just kind of funny how that works. You know what I mean? But I was yeah. like, you're, you're giving me credit, but I'm like, I don't think I would have done that. <laughs> We just make each other better. We do. We totally do. But I think like that came out of this idea that like we already knew we had this stuff. It didn't all like connect, but we felt like if we just positioned it in a way that felt like a really nice kind of like give to people. Yeah. We felt like we could get more eyeballs, more signups, and then eventually more demos because that was a really big source of demos for us. So that feels really, really important on the content side in my head. And maybe you have a a really specific like media example, Susan, but like sometimes you'll hear somebody in a meeting mention something Mm -hmm. and a week earlier, you heard a customer say something in the same vein or like talk about the same problem. And you're like, oh, there's something here. Like I'm going to dig into that a little bit further. So now I'm going to go out, I'm going to do some like some third party research. I'm going to see what the publications are saying about this. I'm going to lean into my SMEs and be like, hey, I'm kind of hearing these rumblings about this. What do you think? Oh yeah, that's, I've heard a couple people talk about that lately. Right. And so when you can kind of spot those I don't even know what what I would call them, but just like little inklings that you can kind of like tell they go together once you're able to get enough information. That is a huge skill. And that makes you stand out because you are now connecting with the people who are going to help you build that story. And they're like, oh yeah, you're right. Yes, there is a story there, right? And so they're, they're seeing you as someone who can do that. And that makes a big difference. Yeah. And I think that's also for people that are specialists in one area, but they want to move up more into like strategy and upper management. Those are the skills that really good leaders and visionaries have. They're very good at being able to kind of pull back and see the larger landscape and make those connections. And it takes practice. You know, it's not something that, that you're usually innately know how to do. It's from doing a lot of different jobs over a lot of different years or with different business types, you start to see the similarities and how that stuff works. Cause to your point, you'll find that no matter what business you're in, you will have those connections that will come up and you'll be like, oh yeah. I mean, there are examples from when I was in retail all the way to when I've been in B2B SaaS that they feel very similar. You know, it's like they're they're not ragingly different and you realize that the longer you're in the workforce. Yeah, I think that the people that are able to draw the really good connections, that was always what I learned most from bosses I had and executives in C-suite that were really good at what they did. They were just able to do that. It was like a muscle that they had honed, right? They just immediately, they didn't even have to think about it. They're like, totally. well, if we do that, then we'll do that. Like, but I could tell they'd learned it at some point. So yeah, exactly. But that was what set them apart. Like most of the people that were the practitioners that never really moved up, they were very deep in that one thing, which is totally fun because we need those people. But the ones that were like, but I want to move up and do larger scale strategy. That was the skill they usually had to develop. Yeah. I totally echo that. We're like, I learned it from a boss I had who was just fantastic at this. Hey, okay. And then she would always start with like how she came up with an idea of like the genesis of the insight, right? So she'd be like, I was in this meeting and I heard this SME mentioned this one thing. And then Mm -hmm. on Slack, I saw somebody from the product team mention this other thing. And like they go together. And so I'm going to like kind of probe there a bit. Right. And I was like, oh yeah, that, okay. That's how it's done. Like it makes so much sense. That's how you do that. You see somebody do it. So yeah, look for those opportunities. Look for those little kind of seemingly disparate things that when pulled together, really start to create something great. Yeah. That's number one. 
That was number one. So mine for number two is understanding what the actual sales pitch is for the thing that you're marketing. And it sounds like it would be simple because you're like, well, I'm making all these marketing materials, but there is something to be said for sitting in sales pitches and just watching what happens. And this was something that I really learned back in my days when I was in programmatic. I worked with, there were a few salespeople, but there was one salesperson in particular that was just amazing. I mean, there was nothing about it that felt salesy. He barely spoke. He always got the clients to, or potential clients to speak. And like they talked themselves into it by the end and he barely said anything. It was amazing to watch. But I learned a lot about how they sold it to themselves, I guess is the best way to put it, right? It was like he wasn't there going through each selling point or doing anything like that. He asked the right questions and the answers were very telling. And the more sales pitches I sat in on, the more similarities I started to see. And a lot of times they were things that we wouldn't necessarily think to talk about in marketing because we're looking at it from an outsider's perspective, right? Yeah. Whereas with them, this is their business. It, you know, they're selling whatever they're selling every day. And they have all these other marketing challenges, fulfillment challenges, margin challenges, all of these things that we don't really think about from our perspective, just because as marketers, we're like, what do we think is the best way to position this and sell it? But you learn a lot by hearing it from the actual humans. And they tend to divulge a lot more in sales pitches, especially if you're with a good salesperson that gets them talking, you will learn far more than trying to guess like what to put in your content or what ad to run or what did the metrics say? You will learn so much more being with a skilled salesperson who can just draw that stuff out of someone in a 30 minute call. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are so many companies where, and it seems to be more so at the larger ones, like at the startups, I feel like there's a lot more communication between marketing and sales. Yeah. It really starts to break down, especially if it's, if it's a large sales center, right? Like there's, you know, hundred salespeople, you're yeah. not going to be able to listen to all of them. And I don't feel like it's really encouraged. Like it doesn't usually occur to the C-suite to have those two groups kind of watch what the other one does. And it creates a lot of friction. Like there's just a lot of, that's where I see a lot of the battles about, well, you know, marketing doesn't send us good leads and marketing's like sales doesn't close anything I send them. And, but there's just like this brick wall between the two of like, but why is that? Like, yeah, no yes. matter, you know, it could be a little bit of both, who knows, but if right. you're not meeting in the middle to figure out where that disconnect is, you'll never find it. You'll never find it. And it's, I think even like there were times when you and I worked together, where we would listen to sales pitches and we're like, oh, like they seemed confused about what this actually did. And so we realized from a marketing perspective, like the salesperson's getting caught holding the bag with someone that scheduled a demo, but they don't understand. They thought they understood what the product was, but it's not. And so we yeah. knew like, okay, there's something in our messaging or in the creative or something that's either communicating this or it's not clear enough. So yeah. it let us know, like, there's something we have to do differently. But we never would have noticed that. All we were saw was like, oh, hey, we got a demo scheduled. Yay! You know? Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, everyone celebrate. And then nothing would come of it because we didn't understand, like, where they were getting lost. And, like, they were never qualified to begin with. But we didn't. Right. We wouldn't have known that. Yeah. I think part of it, too, is, like, you have to know what does someone need to know before they get in the room with your sales team. Yeah. What do they need to know about what the product does, about who is the best fit for this product, mm -hmm. about how long it might take to actually onboard you, like all of the things that they will need to know to be like, yes, this is good. So they don't get in the room and they're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. Or sales has to spend half of the time explaining those things when they could be actually in the product, showing them, showing the value, showing the differentiation. So I always like to think of it as just like, you are setting sales up for success 
And like, yeah. in order to do that, you have to know what the pitch is so you can prep your yes. prospect for the pitch. Yep. Totally agree. That's the other reason why whenever places are resistant to saying anything about price, I'm like, you have to manage expectations somehow. Yeah. And sometimes it's enterprise level stuff. It's like, it is a custom quote. But then it's like, okay, then give your criteria for what makes a good fit, right? Like for enterprise level companies or companies that do X amount per month, like it doesn't have to be about your price, but do some kind of qualifier so that if it's like an SMB that searches for something, but you're a $10,000 a month enterprise software product, they somehow get from the language you're using that like, you're not for them, right? It's not a good fit. I have had that exact problem happen as a buyer. Yeah, like went to, uh, I won't say who it is, but like went to the website thinking like I'd heard about these guys. I'm like, oh, this could be really interesting looking at, you know, all their content and like, what does the product kind of do and schedule a demo and got an email from an SDR that was like, just so you know, like this is enterprise software. And I was not at an enterprise company. And it's like, well, in my seven minutes on your website, how would I know that? You know, like, so it was just like a man, that's such a what a waste of my time. And now it's kind of soured that for me a little bit. So yeah, very important. They're not hanging out with their salespeople enough, whoever they are. They are not. You hear that, whoever you are? Yeah. Just not going to name names because she's too nice, but your website sucks for managing expectations. Put the word enterprise somewhere if you are enterprise. Okay. So that was number two. Number two, number three. Okay. Something that I think really was enlightening for me was when I really started to understand budgeting and metrics. Mm -hmm. So this is number three, budgeting and metrics. So I'll start with budgeting. There was a really long time where I was so afraid of owning budget. I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, they're making me responsible. I know, I know. But as a content person who literally has never done this, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to entrust me with all this money. And like, I don't even like, what do I spend it on? Like, what do I even spend it on? I don't even know what to do with it. I don't like, it was so stressful to me. And, you know, every quarter you would have to like report on like, you know, middle of the quarter, you're like, where, you know, my boss is like, (laughs) where are you at? And I was like, um, I haven't, I'm only spending $1,000. And it was, baby, you better. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that was the most terrifying thing was like, I had to use it or I would lose it, but I did not know what to do with it. And I will never forget this. This sticks with me to this day. My manager said, do not think of your budget as like money you have to spend. Think of your budget as money that is going to allow you to hit your goals and get them, like get the things done that need to get done to hit your goals. Yeah. And like once she framed it for me like that, I was like, oh, I know exactly what to spend it on. Yeah. I would like to hire someone to write this, these four blog posts so I don't have to. Yeah. That are going to help us, you know, like hit that number of blog posts we said we were going to do. I would really like to hire someone to write this landing page copy. I can create a brief, but like, I would like someone to go and do that. It was a lot of like, I'll do the strategy, but then I can pay someone to do the execution so that Mm -hmm. I can keep moving and I can scale. Yeah. And that was super helpful to me to understand this isn't just hurry, like this money is burning a hole in your pocket, get rid of it. It was use it as a tool to accomplish the things you need to accomplish this quarter. Yeah, with less stress. <laughs> with, with way less stress. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's a, that's a big one. If you can look at budget as like, it is a little scary at first, right? Like to feel like you are responsible for that. But if you can look at it as, no, this is a tool, just like any piece of software is a tool mm-hmm. to like help me hit my goals this, yep. this quarter. Yep. That was a big one for me. How about budget? I'm uh, Before I move on to metrics, like budgeting on the media side, I know is like, that's a whole other world. Like talk to me about yeah. that a little bit and like what that looks like in order to 
get the understanding where you feel confident enough to like, hey, I'm, I think I'm ready for the next level. I think for me and from what I see with like a lot of junior media managers that I, I work with is feeling comfortable managing expectations that what you say may change. A lot of times companies are like, here's the budget. How are we going to allocate it on these platforms? And it can be scary when you're younger because you're you're like, well, I don't know. Like if we start spending on Facebook and it's not doing well, what if we have to move it to Google? So I think having the comfort level of saying, I don't know, is tough for younger buyers. Like they feel like they're being asked to definitively say, this is how this should be spent. And the reality is, especially right now, I mean, now more than ever, these platforms are way less predictable than they used to be. So you need to really feel comfortable saying, look, here is my intended spend and forecast for the next, you know, however many months they're asking for. But you have to be comfortable saying it's very likely this will change. So like you, because they they always want a forecast. They always want, and especially, gosh, when companies ask for a forecast of like, well, we want to invest this, what's our return going to be? Sometimes you have no idea because it's a new product, right? So I'm very big on like you avoid a lot of issues if you manage expectations up front, manage them in writing. And so when I will send a forecast, I'll say, look, this is what I think we should start out with. This is probably going to change as we get data because we can make better decisions once we see what's happening. I just feel like with younger media buyers, they feel like it makes them look less in control when they say that. You know what I mean? I, and, which I, I get. It's, yeah. it's because you're insecure and you don't know and you have, you know, bosses asking you like, hey, you know, we need to have this forecast. It's like, it feels like it's going to be this definitive end all be all answer to what this thing is. You want to look be. competent. You want to be like, yeah, you That's hired me and you made the right choice. That's the thing. And it's and, like- And I don't have a lot of like successes yet to back up hundred like that re- reassurance. Yep. Yeah. So it's yep. like, I got to look like I know what I'm doing all the time. Exactly. So it's less intimidation about having the money. It's more like they feel like they have to be able to definitively say, this is how it's going to be spent. And that's how it's going to go for six months. And the reality of it is that like, as you launch, you're going to learn a lot where you can spend that money better. So yeah, what I yes. always tell them is I'm just like, tell them like, this is how I intend to start, but we're going to get data that's going to make us a lot smarter about how we should actually do this as we go. So do not take this as gospel. <laughs> do not yeah. take this as like, this is what it's going to look like in six months. Like I, a lot of times it's just a box checking thing that companies do. And I don't, I think that's also lost in translation. Like they feel like, oh my God, I'm locked into this plan. And a lot of times it's like they're making the plan to appease an executive who just wants to have some idea of what's happening, right? Which I get, but they don't understand the nuances of why this stuff might change. And quite frankly, they're probably not even going to remember what the original plan was at that point. Yeah. So I feel like there's a a lot of hesitancy with that. And especially, I see that happening more and more lately because Google is so much less predictable than it used to be because of, well, you know, I could do a whole episode on the changes that are happening, but that's kind of the other piece is that I think it makes buyers even more insecure. And I'm like, don't hide the fact that things are unpredictable. You have to tell them. And it's not you blaming Google. It's the reality. Like I've been in Google ads since 2007 and I'm still having to adapt and figure out ways to make things work in campaigns. It's just not as cut and dry as it used to be. So that makes the whole budgeting thing even scarier for people. That's usually what I encounter more so. That's Marketing Baby is sponsored by Teal. If you're a B2B marketer looking to make your next right career move, Teal can help you leapfrog your resume to the top of the stack. Their AI resume builder helps you tailor your resume to specific open positions fast. All you have to do is import your resume or LinkedIn profile one time, and Teal does the rest. 
It even uses AI to rephrase your experience and achievements so they really pop. Even better, it's free to get started at tealhq.com. All right, back to the show. Yeah, and it takes a while to understand that nuance, right? Yes. That like it is really unpredictable. Yeah. So, you know, I think when you are first starting out, like you don't want to feel young. You don't want to look young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're first starting out, I think it's like just when in doubt, like ask, hey, this is what I think I want to do here. Does that feel right to you? Yeah. And it's okay, like if you're wrong. Like it's yeah. gonna be a lot better that you yeah. asked and you were wrong than if you just went off and did it and you were wrong. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. It's like especially like good bosses know you're self-aware enough to say this is what I'm thinking, but like, or I mean, just even say like I'm nervous because I don't want to feel like we're held to this plant. Just let them know that. I mean, a lot of totally. times their, their job is gonna be the one to communicate up, like this is probably not gonna be finite. Yeah. This will probably change. Yeah. So it, it's actually good if you let your boss in on that thinking pattern so that their expectations are managed and then they can manage it from, you know, from above. Right. Yes. Beautiful metrics. So yeah. I'll go quick through this. Cause we spent a lot of time on budgeting, but I think metrics, especially on the content side are a little gray. They're a little tough because attribution is really hard, but I think just the thing that helped me was to really understand like the business goals. Mm-hmm. And I figured that out just through asking, right? Like, well, what are we trying to do? What, you know, what, what is our goal for this year, this quarter? And then aligned with that, like, okay, if the goal is demos booked or the goal is pipeline, there are certain metrics that kind of early indicator of like, that's going well, or a signal Mm -hmm. that that's going well. And you won't know those right away either. So like, those are the kinds of things you have to be like, okay, well, what would I need? Like, what should I measure in order to really like know that that's happening, right? That is very okay to ask early on. And then what you'll find is like, you'll start to really like, again, it will just become muscle memory. Like you will know these KPIs ladder back to this kind of a goal. And you can do that with any kind of goal. You will really, really figure that out. You'll get to a point like me where you're just making up metrics. You're just like, (laughs) hey, I came up with this thing called the repurposing multiplier because I wanted to show ROI on repurposing. Like you'll get to a point where it's like this feels, you know, because attribution is so hard, sometimes you have to kind of dig things up that feel like a little different or strange or like no one's really talked about this before, but it's really important to our business that we are, you know, repurposing is a big cost saver. And we're like mm-hmm. trying to be very, very conservative with our, with our funding. So like, you know, I mean, it, it, it's kind of things like that where it's like, I know we're trying to be conservative with our funding. And so that is a big metric for us, but that took time for me to understand that like those two things go together, business goals, metrics, and like which kind of tie, which metrics tie to which goals. So this, this actually leads seamlessly into our fourth point. So I'm going to, beautiful, yes, on yes, the it does. Piece, and then I'm going to go slide right into the fourth, because this is Love something it. that I see media buyers really, really struggle with. And it's, it's two things. So from a metrics perspective, see, we kind of have the opposite problem in the media world. There are metrics so for friggin everything. <laughs> I mean, there are like, I mean, in Google, it's like, you can see what percentage of the click share you've gotten, which percentage of the impression share. You, I mean, just so many numbers, yeah. like all the numbers, right? So I think that there's, there's some overwhelm with that stuff. I yeah. see a lot of media buyers get very into the weeds on things and It's important to be detail-oriented as a media buyer, but this also goes back to like understanding the business goals. I see so many media buyers get really hung up on metrics or what Google did or didn't match a certain way or, 
And I always kind of have to remind them like, okay, so if you spent time on that fixing it, how much more is that going to improve the results that tie back to the business goals? And a lot of times it's so marginal, but they don't think about it that way because they're in the platform all day and they're trying to get the platform to do what they want. And it's easy to get obsessed with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I've been guilty where I'm like, why am I doing this? This is not going to have any demonstrative effect. I have to let this go, right? I think that there, because there are so many metrics, it's easy for media buyers to kind of like start hyper fixating on what's in the platform and what they want it to be. But they don't really necessarily stop and think, does this actually make enough of a difference to the return on spend or to our CPA or whatever the goal is that I should actually spend time doing this? Yeah. So they can be very poor time managers when it comes to that. And this leads right into number four, <laughs> which is the other thing that I find a lot of buyers struggle with, which is understanding what leadership cares about. Yeah, This is where I feel like as a manager, director, VP, this is where I feel like I have, a, have to have a really heavy screen, right? It's like, I understand everything that a media person will throw at me, but there is definitely a humongous disconnect between the level of detail that media buyers will go into, which I understand why they do, especially right now, because things are unpredictable. They want to try and explain like, this is why the results are like that. You know, it, yeah. it is important that they understand why they're doing that. The thing is, it gets so technical and because there are so many metrics, it starts getting very difficult for anyone in a leadership position that doesn't do this full time, A, to follow and B, to not just wind up more confused. Yeah. So I've worked with teams where they're like, we tried to explain this, you know, to the CMO and now they're trying to micromanage everything we do. And I'm like, yes, because they don't understand. Like there is such a thing as giving too much information and it's not that you're trying yes. to hide anything. It's just that you're going to create more questions than you answer if you're not careful. So this is one of the things where I've seen it the reverse too, where like leadership just gets very curious about things that don't tie back to the business goals. Like I've seen a lot of them get hung up on like quality score. Does it matter? Yeah. But I mean, this is, that's not a metric to optimize to, right? So this is also where re gently reminding them of like, look, this is the goal of your media. So these yeah. are the things we have to look at. We'll worry about the little things that add up to getting those numbers. But like yes. bottom line, like here are the things. And I, I've always said, like, I will answer any question. I am an open book, but I try very hard to just present the things that are going to matter to them most. And then if they want to dig deeper on anything, we can do that. But I always tell people, you are better off. Start at the 20,000 foot view and then let them ask the questions of what they want to know. Yeah. Because then it's a guided discussion. Otherwise, you have just barfed up like 50 <laughs> slides of data and they're just like, so are we doing well or are we not? Like yeah. I've, I've seen, and agencies are very guilty of that too. I've had places send me their agency decks and I'm like, well, no wonder they want to leave. They have no idea if this is even doing well. And sadly, some of the times the agencies are doing great, but it's like none of that comes forth because they give them so much information Yeah, that they're just like, there's no bottom line. I don't know what's happening. So being understanding about what leadership cares about, even if you're not the person that has to deliver it to them. Yes. I was just going to say this. Go yeah. Ahead. It's like, you got to make sure that whatever you roll up and whatever you're reporting on, highlight those numbers. Like even if yeah. you're required to fill out some ridiculously large spreadsheet, just highlight the numbers so that it's easy for people to find what it is they're going to be looking for to report out on. Totally. Yeah. My I, oh my gosh. I was just going <laughs> to say that. So like, yeah, if you're not the person in the room with leadership, that's okay. Like someday you'll get there, but your job is to make your boss look really good when yep. they go in there to deliver that news. And sometimes it just comes down to like, asking like, what do they care about? Right. 
even in, in like my, my smaller company right now, the CRO comes directly to me and is like, I need these numbers pulled. You know, I, I need numbers. Sorry. The way she frames it is like, I need numbers pulled about X. And I'm like, mm-hmm. great. I can do that for you. What do you care about? I don't want to give her everything because one, it's a waste of my time. Two, it's a waste of her time. And she doesn't need it. She needs the three things for the board meeting or the investor meeting or, you know, whatever it is, you know, they're working with product to create this new thing. And they, she just needs to show them proof that this feature is really needed, right? Like, and they're not always great about telling you what those things are. They move fast. They only have so much time. And so sometimes you just have to be like, great. What do you need? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to know that uh, yeah. for the most part, CEOs care about revenue. Like yeah. that that C-level, they like care about revenues. Show what it is that will get them feeling very comfortable with what you're doing in a way that speaks to what motivates them. I've had a founder before who was like very into like the look of the brand, right? Mm-hmm. And so like I knew that. And so there were things that I knew wouldn't pass muster and things that I I knew he like loved in terms of design. And I was like, once I figured that out, then I could share with him like, okay, this is where we're at, right? I knew once something was to a point that I could share with him. So it's not always metrics. It's, you know, it it can be a, a number of things, but I think you have to understand what your boss and their boss care about. And then when it's your time to kind of deliver information to those groups of folks, like make sure you're very honed in on what that is and I think another deliver part. the information that ladders to that. I think the other thing that I don't see enough people do that really helps to ground the discussion is make sure when you're reporting out on stuff, include the historic metrics because- Ooh, yeah. And this I encounter in media all of the time. Like it'll, you know, revenue will be down, demo requests will be down- and they'll, they'll panic, right? So they'll reach out and they'll be like, what if we spent more on search? What if we did this? What if we did that? And like on my end, search might be outperforming year over year. So you need to help them understand because they're not going to look at every little single piece of marketing that is rolling up into the results they're getting. They go to the thing that they think is going to work the fastest. And lucky me, that's usually media. <laughs> so, as you've, you've witnessed firsthand several times yes. now. Oh, yes. But un- helping to kind of couch like if results went down and you're like, look, last year, this is where we were. Here's where we are now. Help them understand why that's the case, right? Like I had an e-com client. They weren't on Amazon for the longest time and they finally were. And so year over year, we noticed that their brand ROAS was getting lower and lower. So I pulled an, an auction insights report and did it by quarter. And all of a sudden, because they started selling on Amazon, Amazon started buying media against their name. They never told them not to. So all of a sudden it was taking like 15 to 20% of the impression share. Whereas if you look at the past quarters, they weren't even on the list because they weren't spending anything against their brand name. So there's things like that, that like yeah. they assume like, well, what did you change with the media? I'm like, I changed nothing, good sir. Yeah. <laughs> I changed nothing. Your buyer's dead. Like you're in a new channel that spends money on advertising and they, they spend a lot of it, right? And I think the other piece too is like, they really didn't think through what that would mean. You know, it's like they, they're like, oh, another distribution channel, the margin's lower, but whatever. And I was like, it's not just that the margin winds up being lower for you. It's like the other thing you have to remember is they will bid and they don't care if they lose money on that keyword because they know that they're like the person's going to come buy the thing you sell and they're going to buy their cat litter and they're going to buy lawn bags and they're going to eat. It's like they have all these other higher margin items. Yeah. They know what their average value is. They know what's on sale. Like they are a machine when it comes to understanding how to extract 
value from the people that come to their site. So they don't care if they break even on your brand keyword, they don't care that it costs more, right? It's like yeah. you're, they're used to competitors that are like, oh, they're, they're not going to bother because it's going to cost them so much because they're not relevant. Amazon doesn't care. I mean, they, yeah. they don't care. They'll spend 20 bucks for the clicks and they're, they were not used to that. So yeah. understanding, like being able to give that historical context, yes, it's a much larger problem than just our brand ROAS is going down. That's all they yeah. see, but it's like, let's take, pull this out further and understand what's changed in the time period that you're trying to compare, right? Yeah. You need a benchmark. Yeah. You got to yes. have something to know if it's, if, is that good? Is that bad? Like, exactly. It, yeah. <laughs> it's it, And I just find there's a huge lack of context often. Yeah. In reporting. It's kind of like, here's this month's results. Here were last month's. And then that's it. And I'm like, yeah. that's not enough for someone that's not in this every day to understand. Should we be concerned that it went down? Is this normal? Does it do it every yeah. year in September? Like the, you know, it's, they don't, they don't know. So that, sure. that context is hugely important. Yeah. Real quick acronym corner. ROAS. ROAS stands for return on ad spend. I didn't know that for a very long time. No, it's okay. We get going. We're like, we know, know this and we like throw it out, but yes. I didn't know that for a long time. Yeah. Um, it's an, e you know, it's an e-com term go. more so than, than what you get in some B2B you do, but yeah. more often than not, it's e-com. Yeah. Yeah. Acronym corner. That's, uh, that's going to be a new thing. I'm bringing it. We didn't speak, which we didn't have any analogies this time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but we had an acronym corner. We so did. Okay. Check, check a box. Okay, cool. We have to do one, every, at least one every episode. Yeah. <laughs> there's an acronym, sure. there's an analogy. Anything you wanted to add for the, what leadership cares about on the content piece? Or do you feel like we kind of covered? No, I, I think, there's I think there's what a small you, human, there's a small human behind you. Yeah. I mean, I think everything you said is, is pretty universal in terms of like, you have to provide the context. You have to understand the metrics that they're most concerned with and you have to give them some sort of like some comparison point and i think the, all of that is the same it's the same for content we're leaving it in this is we're life. so leaving that in we're leaving it in <laughs> well uh, that was it for today we yeah we gave you guys how to level up as you head into the new year and things to think about when you're doing your annual reviews and that's things right to focus on getting better about but yeah, I recap? Your stories yeah should i recap real quick yeah yeah let's recap number one connecting the dots Finding yep. disparate things that when together are more powerful. Understanding the sales pitch, knowing what's going to happen when a prospect gets in the room with sales. So you know what your job is, what you need to tell them, educate them on, give them information about before they get there. Budgeting and metrics, understanding how to spend your money, that it's not as scary as it sounds. Understanding how to look at all of that data and understand what it's telling you and be able to report on it. And then understanding what leadership cares about, being able to take all of that information that we just talked about and take kind of the most important nuggets or the nuggets that they really, really rely on to do their jobs and get that to them. You forgot point five. Most your gutters are clean and your daughter's cute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, report Those are the other two things we learned today. <laughs> My sprinklers are now empty and my daughter's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you everybody for tuning in for this week. We will see you next week. And that's marketing, baby. That's marketing, baby. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to That's Marketing, Baby. If you dig what we're putting down, be sure to subscribe and share with your marketing besties. Because, you know, hot marketers don't gatekeep. And if you're like, this is not enough, I need more, we got you. Rants and Raves is the official newsletter of That's Marketing Baby. Every week, Susan and I share one thing we love and loathe in the world of marketing. Get on the list at that'smarketingbaby.com. Okay. okay, bye. bye.